A vision without execution is just a dream. Welcome to Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. Like the show title says, Chris speaks with transformative experts and business leaders who share their successes, failures, and leadership tips that will help you transform your business into a success story. Now, here's your host, Chris Elias. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Transformative Experts. Today, I have the confrontationalist as she's known, uh, Danielle Gibson. Danielle is an expert in confrontation and helping people get better at it. Danielle, welcome. Uh, thank you. I'm, I'm excited to be here and have this great conversation with you this morning. I, I think it'll be fun. Um, you know, in a world that seems to be all confrontation, um, being able to talk a little bit about it in a positive light versus all the negative that we see, I, th- I think this can be helpful for, for so many listeners. I agree with you. And and uh, it's funny because we'll get into this, but my my definition of confrontation is actually different than the whole world is involved in confrontation right now. And I can tell you that there's a there's a very little confrontation going on right now, based on my definition. Yeah, I I, I would agree with that. But before we get to any of that, um, how yeah. does one become an expert at this? Right? I mean, so so this is the the point where you get to share your life story from from when you were a little kid or whatever. I mean, you know. It, really would love to know, how do you become the expert at helping people with confrontation? How did I become the expert? So yeah. I, I think that I had a head start um, in that I was always a pretty direct person and being direct is a huge part of my definition of confrontation. So I'll just start off by saying that my definition of confrontation is to deal directly with someone or something you've been avoiding out of fear. It entails speaking up, being direct, not shying away from difficult conversations, asking questions, things like that. So I always pretty much, I never had a problem asking questions. I'm really curious. So I had a really strong need to know. And um, if I were in, if I was in a room with somebody or in a meeting, I would ask, I would raise my hand and was always kind of confused about why people would thank me for, for asking a question when I was just asking a question. And um, so I kind of grew up in a house where I wasn't stifled and um, I did have a crazy narcissistic parent um, who had no filter. Uh, She said everything she wanted to say, but she didn't tell us we couldn't. So I think that I was kind of in boot camp in that way, although I do have a filter. And uh, and so um, I, I just I was never told to shut up. And um, and I mean, I'm sure I was told to be quiet, <laughs> but uh, but uh, but then, um, you know, what happened? So I would say, like, I was a good 80, 85 percent comfortable with being assertive and direct and and all of that. But there were times when I wasn't. And I always wondered about that. Why, what are the, what are the variables that, that were there? And some of it was authority. If you have authority issues, it's going to be harder. Sometimes a lot of people have that at work um, or in life. And, um, and, and then when I started to do kind of a deep dive into this, this rebrand that I did and and creating this niche, I realized that the kind of secret sauce is uh, not being concerned with what someone says back at you. So once I realized that everything that everybody says back at you is about them and their opinion, then I was, you know, I was good. I was like that, that last 15%, we got it. I have it down now. So that's kind of 
a very abridged story of how I got here. Well, and so you didn't, I mean, obviously you didn't start with your cult coaching and consulting practice. What, what, what was your profession? Where, where did, you know, where did you go and what caused you to decide to actually turn this to your profession? Um, so I did, you know, what most, what a lot of people do. I, I went to school and I graduated and I, I went into the corporate world and I worked in the least corporate, uh, environments. I worked in beauty. I worked in music. I worked in fashion. Um, and I pretty much hated it. And, uh, and then I had a, I had a, I didn't like the, I didn't like the, the, the power dynamic and how, nothing ever seemed to get done. And they weren't really interested in what you had to say unless you were the top person. And um, I mean, I don't know if I knew that at the time, but I'm looking back at it now. I had my own business. I was a jewelry designer for five and a half years and it was bad timing. It was the recession and and it's not a good time to sell a nice to have. Um, And then I went back and I had a sales career, which I think was really important in my development, both as a person and, as a business owner. And then what happened was I took my final job for money, which is never a good idea. And I lost that job. And I thought, why don't you give yourself a minute to figure out what is right for you? And just intuitively, I just chose to get my certification. I had never worked with a coach before and I thought I would be good at it. And I thought it would be good for me. And I was right on both so that's how I got here. So you, so you got kind of, you started, you started in down the, the coaching path and um, did you get certified through ICF, through the International Coach Federation? It's an ICF accredited school. Yeah. yeah. Called IPEC. IPEC. Okay. Yeah. That's a good one. So, um, and, and, and did you just start out with a thought that you would just generally coach people or, or did you always, did you, did you know from the beginning that this kind of coaching people through confrontation is going to be your, your niche? So I did not start out with this is my niche. This is kind of my third niche, as I think most coaches go through different iterations. And um, what happened over time was I, I started to hear I'm bad at confrontation. I'm scared of confrontation. And I swear almost every second time I would go to the dictionary and look it up. Cause I never knew what anyone was talking about because the way they would use that word and, and in the situations and what the actual definitions, I just didn't understand. So what I ended up doing is I started to pay attention to the situations and what they meant. And then I also looked at what it meant to not be confrontational, what you lost as a person, what you were forfeiting for yourself. And so I kind of did my own research and um, it wasn't a niche that existed. And I wanted to kind of be provocative because in the sea of coaching, it is hard to stand out. Nobody really knows what coaching is. It's a very poorly branded industry. And, um, and that's where the confrontationalist, I made up a word and um, that's how it was born. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's an interesting thing because, you know, I, so I got exposed to coaching back in the 1990s when the ICF was, was really quite new. And as a matter of fact, I, I worked with a guy, local guy, um, great coach, um, who kind of got me on that path, especially right after I left the corporate world. So I, I had worked and just wanted to do something different. And that's, you know, the, 
that's when I kind of started learning about all of this. And over time, it, it seems like, you know, the ICF, which, which formed a really good intent to give coaches a place to go, and they, they, of course, support all walks of life. Well, what happens is you've got all these different categories of coaches, and it has created a lot of blurriness, right? And, and um, there are people, I know a lot of people that have had bad experiences with coaches. They hire a life coach, and it's not a good fit for them. I think fit's important um, when, when choosing a coach, but but maybe even the, the, the type of coach. So to, to narrow and have a specific field is important, but also to, to be narrowed in a field that you have passion for, that you have talent for. And that sounds like what you've done. Yes, it's really personal to me because um, communication, it is, you know, from a, from a very young age and, and being raised in a, in, a, in a home where I didn't feel necessarily seen, Mm -hmm. um, uh, and understood it, it was really important to me to be understandable and be clear and be concise. And, and, and it was really important to say what I meant. And so, you know, very early on in my co in, in coaching, one of my first coaches said to me that I should coach around speaking up. And I, and at the time I didn't know about enough about coaching. I didn't know why I was good at it. I, yeah. I hadn't, I didn't have enough information and he was right as it turns out. So it's very personal to me. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and obviously it's going to be such a, a great, great path for you. Um, you know, you talk about a lot about the, the, the fear that people have. Let's, let's get into some of the, the root cause. You know, we're, we're at a, we're at a time today where confrontation maybe has a different meaning, right? We, we mentioned this right, right in your opening comments. I mean, um, there's a lot of what I would describe as negative, confrontation going on and I don't like like you said in your definition it's not confrontation at all it's just it's it's fighting how do you characterize what's happening today and what what are some things that we should be considering to turn this around I mean honestly I think that you know if I watch the news and I, I really try not to because it makes me really nervous and and, yeah. and uh, there are a lot of people who are talking and they're not saying anything of substance. They're giving their opinions. There's a lot of what if ism. There's a lot of pointing fingers, not taking ownership of any of it. It's about power. It's about the 24 hour news cycle and needing to fill it. And it's really frustrating as someone for someone like me who, who, who watches people not say anything. And, and I think that I mean, in my moments of delusions of grandeur, I guess, I'm like, get me in front of Congress. I need to talk to them. Mm -hmm. I need to tell them that if they were actually honest, people would trust them. If government, if, if politicians were actually honest, they would have a higher rating. They would, they, if people said what they meant, people would like them better. Period. And I don't mean to say anything positive. I mean, I don't know how, how, how political we want to go, but like, uh, you know, one of the things that people used to say that they liked about about Trump was that he said what he meant and he was authentic. And I, I had to agree. He was. He said exactly what he meant. He was exactly who he was, just not necessarily someone I want to, to listen to. Yeah, but it, but at least at least there was um, there was no nothing hidden. I mean, it was pretty, pretty obvious about the whole thing. Everything was out in the open. Yeah. That is what I think people were responding to in part. Yeah. Yeah. And so, but, you know, a lot of fear is in play right now. People fear 
confrontation. They yes. fear having that, that open conversation. This, yes. this whole concept of cancel culture, which has become really, really big now, it's, it's as though people are looking for ways to take people down just almost for the fun of it. Yeah. Yeah. I don't understand. I mean, I haven't read about it from a psychological standpoint, but I do think that there are select people, and this happens a lot in the comedy world, mm-hmm where they don't apologize. I mean, there was this whole thing with Dave Chappelle recently. And, um, and uh, it's, it's really about, I think that there's different things, right? So there's businesses who cancel quote uh, people that, that, that maybe they've, they've hired for a campaign and the advertisers don't want them to be on there. So there's a business angle, but I really think that if everybody just kind of stood by their decision that, that this could be alleviated quite a bit. I don't, I think that it's about money. Well, yeah, I, I can see that. And I also think though, that, that it's a lot easier to, to, you know, I don't know, throw a stone at somebody else and, and knock them down to then to say, what's, what's really happening here. You know, I mean, you know, I've, I've, I've watched, you know, certainly the, 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 the cancels that occur with celebrities always make more news. Right. And I mean, there've been situations where, if you if you look at the context of what really really happened was it was it really that bad did you ever get the other side of the story but instead they're just they're just shot down period and it's done yeah. and game's over and right. there there's again there's no conversation right? right there's there's no there's no well let's let's try to see both sides of this and see where the truth really lies and and it's it's interesting because in a in a society that was supposedly built on, you know, premises like, you know, you're innocent till proven guilty. It's now that if somebody makes you guilty, there's no way to prove innocence. Absolutely. You're, you're not guilty and proven innocent. You're just guilty. Yeah. It's crazy. And, and, and that, and that happens in every spectrum. And I, and I think that, you know, our brain obviously goes negative. It just naturally goes negative, but this is very different. And I think that a lot of this is, um, it's a bread, like negativity breeds negativity. And if, if you spend any time on, on, on social media or Twitter, for example, it's like everybody, when, when I take a step back and I read about, I read what people are writing and, and who they are, I'm like, it's, it's like you're in grade school. It's a very primal thing that's going on right now. And there's no teacher telling people to stop. So I'm not, I, I don't understand it. And it feels really bad from an energetic standpoint as well. Cause it's not just words. It's, it's permeating everywhere in the environment. So it is, it's a, it's nobody, it's not productive at all. It's, it's just meant for someone who's calling, it's like a bully. Right. A bully feels powerful when they're bullying someone, but inside the bully is very scared. So I think there's a lot of fear that is breeding this. The fear is breeding the name calling, the accusations. It's a sense of control, I think. Yeah. I think. Yeah, I believe that to be the case too. Um, okay, well, so I want to keep, keep exploring this and going a little bit further with you. We are already up on our first break. So okay. um, everybody stay tuned. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. It's time to transform your business with the help of the Execution Culture, co-written by your host, Chris Elias. Make your company smarter, faster, and stronger with real-world advice on culture. 
leadership, and execution. The Execution Culture, available now on Amazon. Is your company or team struggling to achieve the results you would like? Optimize your life, your team, and your organization through clarity, purpose, and action. At Nexecute, we have over 100 years of combined experience leading organizations and coaching individuals to achieve their vision. We design a customized approach to ensure successful execution and optimize your results. Connect better. Grow better. Take the next step and give us a call for a free consultation with your host, Chris Elias. 888-378-8808. That's 888-378-8808. Keep the conversation going. Follow your host on Instagram at Chris Elias Official and on Facebook and Twitter at The Chris Elias to discuss your own business transformations and get real world advice on culture, leadership, and execution. See you there. This is Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. If you have a question or a comment about the show, please send an email to listener at transformativeexperts.com. Now, back to Transformative Experts. And we're back with uh, Danielle Gibson. So, Danielle, before we went to the break, we were starting to talk about fear and how fear holds um, holds people back. Um, tell me a little bit more about that. I, you know, you know, fear is, is really, really strong. And in a world where um, it's, again, so easy to throw stones, why even have a conversation? Well, without a conversation, nothing changes. And, you know, that, you know, if we talk about what's going on in the media or in social media, um, what's interesting about that is that it's all pretty negative and it's all uh, safe because you're writing something. And the only thing that's going to come back at you is someone else commenting on your comment And there's a freedom that people have, I think, to express this anger that they have. And there's no resolution ever. And I don't think the point is resolution. But if you are having a conversation with someone and you're able to learn how to talk about whatever it is you want to talk about, you can actually understand another person's point of view. They can understand your point of view. And there can be a resolution and and the anger can subside and there, and, and I just think the more communication, actual communication, not blaming people, not calling people names, um, that it could calm the society down a little bit. Yeah, it would be nice. Um, you know, listening to you, it makes me wonder. I, you know, I'm I'm almost wondering if people are enjoying wallowing in this to some degree. Do do people not want to have a conversation because they just assume just stay in the right? I mean, I think it's complicated. I think that there is the, the fear of, of having an actual conversation because one of the things, as I said earlier, one of the things that, that, um, that makes people scared of having a conversation, which is confrontation, right, is, um, is the fear of what someone's going to say back at you or the fear of sounding stupid or saying the wrong thing. And, and I think that so many people at an early age are taught not to, to say anything or, or, you know, that there's a right way to say something that, that, that they don't say anything. And now they have this freedom to say all of this stuff on paper or, on, or typing it out. And that, and that it's all just an aggrieved kind of like, 
it's just negative stuff. And, and, and so I think that the fear is, is, is squashed because they're not responsible for what they say, if that makes sense. Like they don't, there's no accountability. Yeah. And there doesn't have to be, and it's easier right. if there's no accountability. Right. 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 They, they don't they have don't to have think to. twice. And yet it's one. Have... Sorry, go on. Oh, I was going to say, it's one of the most important things you can do for somebody else is, is, is be open and honest. Right. Yeah. And you know, when you're open and honest, what that does is that makes you authentic and that breeds trust. You know, I am very authentic and I'm one of those people that my entire life people have spoken about all these things that are, that are somewhat private. And I didn't know that was unusual. That was just my life. And, and it was because I think that I am candid and that by me being candid, I'm giving you permission to be comfortable with that because I'm starting it. And, and I think that, that it's really important that, and, and the fear just goes away. And people have said, you know, I've never talked this way to anyone in my life. And I, and I'm like, yeah, I know I'm, I'm that person who, uh, who will allow that. But I think that it would be so, there's just so much people need, people need to feel heard and seen. That is a primal need and connection is primal. It's, it's, it's one of the, it's the most important thing. And we don't have that right now. Yeah. You know, if, if I think about like in our world, um, I don't know if you're familiar with Patrick Lencioni or any of his work, but um, five dysfunctions of a team, which is, you know, for a lot of business I work with, it's a core piece. We, we leverage it. And if you think about building a highly functional team, he says, trust is at the basis of everything because without trust, you can't engage in healthy conflict. You can't, you can't have those dialogues, but to be, to, to get to that point of trust, people have to be willing to be vulnerable, right? So invulnerability right. is a sign that the dysfunction exists, but, but this concept of being vulnerable, and, and that's actually a hard concept for a lot of people to swallow, especially in the business place. It's like, well, be, if I'm vulnerable, that means somebody can attack me, somebody can take me down. So it's already an indication of, of there's no trust. But it's funny how in, in a one-on-one situations, how many times I've had people just, I mean, literally in a couple of questions, they've poured their whole soul to me. And, and, and I've had other, you know, other coaches say, how do you do that? How do you, well, it's just simple. You go, you be vulnerable with them and give them a space that's safe for them to be vulnerable with you. I think people really do want that, but they have this wall up all the time and I, and it's got to use a ton of energy to maintain that wall. Absolutely. And I, and I do think that the word vulnerability is it, I'm wondering if it should be replaced with honesty Yeah. because vulnerability taps into emotion. And then those people who are scared of emotion and all that, it, it, it there's also will not like that. And there's also a, a sense that it means weakness. And, um, and if one were to say just honest, um, maybe that would make a difference. And, and uh, in terms of like <clears throat> trust is, um, I think the most important person you trust first is yourself. And that is a really hard muscle to, to really build up. Self-trust, I believe, is kind of akin to self-love. In, in your experience, do a lot of people struggle with, with this self-honesty piece? Yeah, they do. They, 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 they don't know because they weren't given the opportunity to express themselves growing up or if they had a parent who didn't like being, you know, having questions asked or they were impatient and they were on the receiving end of the parents, you know, negative 
emotions, they just learn to stop. And then, and, but like you said, this is energy that we're talking about and where does that energy grow go? And so if, if you're given the opportunity to release some of, I mean, I kind of, I kind of think of everybody as kind of like this French press coffee where you're just pushing down all the time, all these feelings that you can, you know, then if you didn't have that or a crock pot, we could talk, yeah. or, you know, a pressure cooker. Yeah. Um, it's like, it just needs to be relieved. And I think that a lot of the negativity that we're seeing is that this is years of pushing down your feelings that, that if you were allowed to speak, that you would be, it would be alleviated. So how does, how does one figure out that they're caught in that trap? Uh, you know, I, I think that, that, um, you know, if you've maybe lied is the, is too strong a word, but when we talk about the opposite of, of honesty, but if you've been lying to yourself or or not at least being honest with yourself for a long enough period of time, when does that become your new reality? And how do how does somebody recognize that they're stuck? Um, they have to know that they feel really bad. They have to they have to be in some sort of pain. I had a client who I was working on one thing with her. And we kind of went through it. And then she had this really horrible boss and, and we would talk about it. And, and, and she's like, you know, we've, we've kind of finished this one part. She goes, I just don't know how to, to deal with this person. And I said, I don't really think that you can right now. You're not in enough pain. You're not suffering enough to be able to understand the effect that this person is having on you in order for you to take action and to actually explore this, you have to be in a lot of pain. And I think that that's where, you know, like the cliche of the midlife crisis and all that kind of stuff. It's like people start to wake up and understand that life has gotten a little too hard. And then sometimes they're lucky enough to say, why? I wonder why. And I wonder if someone out there can help me. So how often does somebody just take the easy path and walk away versus address it? And then what, what's the longer term implication or impact of that? You mean specifically or in general? In like general. I, I think in general, most people don't do it, which is why I think we're in the state that we're in right now. I think that t- looking at yourself, I mean, if you think of confrontation, the first thing you need to confront is yourself. And if you're not able to do that and be honest with yourself and be okay with the fact that you need assistance, because this is a language you were never taught, these are skills you weren't born with or that you just don't have, what are you going to do? You're just going to do what's familiar, even if it's painful, it's easier than trying to figure something else out. And also the subconscious understands that there's a lot of crap that you've been repressing for a long time that is scary, but only was scary to the younger you. As sure. an adult, we're different. Sure, sure. And so when when somebody does recognize this and they go out and they seek out a professional, they hire you in the, in this particular case. Where do you start with them? How do you? Uh, what what what's the step to get them to start uncovering this honesty? So what happens is is that generally they come to me with one problem. One problem. So for example, I had a client who came to me. She was very, it was very hard for her 
to do presentations. She would check out completely. Like she would just not have any idea what she said. She had sweaty palms. She would just, she was not in the room. And, and so she came to me with that problem. She needed to learn how to be better at presentations. So what we did was we figured out what, you know, because when you're told you're going to do a presentation, you're told you're going to do a presentation. And from that second, you are then consumed by the fear that you have of actually giving the presentation. You give the presentation, you check out, and then you beat yourself up for not knowing what you did and for failing. That's kind of a three-part situation. And so what we did was we tried to figure out what was the reason that she was so scared? We had to understand what were the thoughts that her inner, her higher, you know, what were her inner critic thoughts telling her? And so we did an exercise where I would have her check in, like even set an alarm five times a day so that when the alarm went off, she knew to ask herself, what was she saying to herself? And which she said was actually very transformative. And um, and so slowly, when she started to understand how badly she was treating herself, her unconscious was treating her, then she was able to, to chill out a little bit and understand that she was human. And then finally, there was this sense of ease that came out of it where she it was just something she did as opposed to the worst, scary, most scary thing that she had to do. Got it. Now, do you have any structure? So, so one of the things about coaching and a lot of the coaching um, uh, schools, for lack of a better term, uh, they will teach you to build structures for, for people. And, um, and I don't know if that was part of your particular education or not, but um, do you have, obviously you've got a structured program, but when somebody has to then go and conf- confront um, another individual on something, get into a conversation, right. um, how do you coach them to to start that conversation? How do you coach them to, to, to get them in an open way? Well, one of the things I do, <clears throat> so I'm not as structured, I think, as other coaches are, because everybody, I mean, we're all the same, but we all have, you know, different styles. But but um, one of the things that I help people with is how to start conversations. And so you'll hear, I'll hear that. I have to have this conversation, but I don't know how to start. So I'll say, you should say that. So what I say is, yeah. If you're talking to somebody, you could say, listen, there's something that I really want to talk about. I'm not sure how to start. So if you could just bear with me while I fumble my way into it, I would greatly appreciate that. That's an example. And so what you're doing is you're asking for help. This other, please help me. Let me find my way. You're disarming that person. Because now they're just going to wait until you get to the point. They don't really know what that is. And you're also giving yourself permission to not be perfect. So there's this pressure that's taken off. Yeah. And, um, and it, 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 it gives them a plan. You know, the thing that you're going to say isn't the thing you want to talk about. It's the thing that's going to get you to the thing you want to talk about. Got it. So that's one, that's one thing. And, and asking for help is always a really good thing. If you can do that as a coach, you also know that asking if I can make an observation is another way to, to be able to kind of get yourself into it. So if you've just said something to someone and you're in it, you're not like trying to start a conversation, but you're already, you got triggered, they got triggered, whatever it is. And you go, if, do you mind if I make a, uh, an observation? No one ever says no. And then you can go, well, 
I just said this thing that I didn't think was a, a big deal. And I saw that you kind of reacted in a, in a really emotional way. I'm wondering what just happened. Yeah. So when you use the word wonder or you, you know, it's, it's just kind of like, I'm just wondering. Yeah. The power of the English language is, is it's very, very strong. Right. And, and the, the simple way of doing things, you know, the, the words that we use, having the right words. I, I once, you know, coached somebody and, and I've coached actually a lot of people on this that, that when asking questions, don't use the word why. Because why is it, you know, triggers defense <clears throat> mechanisms, right? It, it, it moves from dialogue to monologue at that point because people go into defending what they're doing. You know, use, utilize things that are expansive, et cetera. So our, our language is very, very important. We are, um, we're already up on our next segment, our next break. So, um, so we're going to just take a, a couple minutes off. We'll be back in just a couple minutes with Danielle Gibson. Sure. Co-written by your host, Chris Elias. Make your company smarter, faster, and stronger with real-world advice on culture, leadership, and execution. The Execution Culture, available now on Amazon. Is your company or team struggling to achieve the results you would like? Optimize your life, your team, and your organization through clarity, purpose, and action. At Nexecute, we have over 100 years of combined experience leading organizations and coaching individuals to achieve their vision. We design a customized approach to ensure successful execution and optimize your results. Connect better. Grow better. Take the next step and give us a call for a free consultation with your host, Chris Elias. 888-378-8808. That's 888-378-8808. Keep the conversation going. Follow your host on Instagram at Chris Elias Official and on Facebook and Twitter at The Chris Elias to discuss your own business transformations and get real world advice on culture, leadership, and execution. See you there. This is Transformative Experts with Chris Elias. If you have a question or a comment about the show, please send an email to listener at transformativeexperts.com. Now, back to Transformative Experts. And we're back one last time with Danielle Gibson. So, Danielle, um, you know, as we talk about confrontation, there are also lots of different styles. I mean, we've, we've got a lot of cultural differences, a lot of different um, ways people approach it, and, and even men and women can be quite different in their styles. You know, throughout your coaching, what have you discovered? Are, are, is there a lot of similarity? Is there a lot of difference? And how might you coach them differently? Um, yeah, there's a lot of different. Well, I'll start off by saying that that um, depending on the topic, um, I would say that more women need help with learning how to be more assertive than men because men are raised to be assertive. Women are kind of raised in an antiquated way to be seen, but not heard. So there's there's that element to it. And um, men are taught not just to be more assertive, but sometimes aggressive, which is not the same thing at all. However, so I'll work with a lot of women um, asking for money, asking for a raise. You know, men will have no problems. Well, most men um, when, when there was this thing that I saw that Barbara Corcoran, uh, once said that the reason why men very often will get a raise versus a woman is because men will, when they're told no, will ask, well, what is it that needs to be done for me to get it? Whereas a woman will go, okay. When they, when they're told no. Right, right. So, yeah. So, so basically the, the areas that men 
need more help with are um, personal conversations and, you know, with their, with their, their family or with their partners. And, and so that is obviously, you know, an area that, that women are also in need of that too, but men are especially in need of that. Women, on the other hand, um, are very timid when it comes to any sort of difficult conversation, asserting themselves not all, but, you know, some women will say I'm really good at it in business, but it's harder for me in personal. And as it turns out, no, not that much better in business than in, than in personal. It just feels a little less threatening to them. And uh, because there's there's sort of there's less attachment to it from an emotional standpoint. But, you know, a big, big problem for women and I work with women business owners or, or upper level executives who just have a problem asking for more money. That is a big one. And so uh, I talk about money a lot. I mean, money's arbitrary. It's just a number. And it's the, it's like, I don't know if I'm valuable enough, if what I'm doing, I said, that's not, it's like, what number do you want? You know, there's no like, I don't want them to hire me. If the, I'm like, they're just going to lowball you. It doesn't matter what you say. It matters what you want. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I tell people this story that when I started working in this business, I made a commitment to myself that I would never lower my prices to get a client because there's always a client out there who's going to pay me what I charge. That's right. So it's really about the attachment that people put to whatever the topic is that we're talking about. Money's a, the scarcity mindset is a, is a big deal. So whereas, you know, and, and it's interesting when everybody, when I say, well, what do you want? It's always like $10,000 more. And I'm thinking that's a problem for you. It's $10,000. And, uh, and so it's really about understanding what the, the attachment is to the subject. And, you know, there's an entire like world that's scared to say, I love you, for example. (laughs) And, you know, one of the reasons why it's hard for people to express themselves is because people will say, well, if I say it first and I'm like, but if it's true, that's all you don't say something to get something back. You say it for the sake of saying it. And that's what confrontation is all about for me. It's not about what happens after you say it. It's saying it that is important to me. Right, right. It's it, it's getting it getting it out there. And do you find then, um, you know, listening to you, it makes me wonder. Uh, I think it's got to be harder for people to confront things that are more on the emotional side, right? So I'll give you an example. Years ago, a friend of mine was going to get married, and um, yeah, well, he was talking about getting married to this this girl he'd been dating for for quite a long time. I'm going back a lot of years, and and I remember all of us having that conversation without him there. Well, you know, if that ever happens, that'll be the end of our relationship. You know, it was kind of one of those things. She, she just, I'm not going to knock her. She just wasn't a good fit from a value standpoint. A lot of other things with the rest of us. We, we loved him, but we couldn't, we kind of couldn't stand her. And, um, and I don't think he, he understood any of that. And I was the only person that would sit down and, and certainly there was a risk of, um, 
you know, there's always a risk you could lose your 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 friendship. But one of the things I, I like, so Susan Scott is the author of Fierce Conversations, and she has this. The, there's this one saying I learned a long time ago from from her. Actually, I met her before she wrote the book, and then in the book again. I think it's so powerful. She says something to the effect of, I won't get the quote exactly right, but the results that we fear that may happen because we confront somebody are guaranteed to happen if we don't. Yes. Yeah. And, and, and in this particular case, I mean, the, the truth of the matter is if nobody confronted this one friend of mine about how we felt about her, we were going to lose him as a friend. You know, the, the dynamic, you know, so by talking to him, I could have lost him right then and there, but it was going to guarantee to lose him. Now, as it turned out in the long run, um, you know, it was a little bit of a shock. It was a hard conversation for him and and for for me too, obviously. We're talking about hard stuff. And as he really reflected on what was going on, he started seeing the behavior and he realized maybe this wasn't the right path. And, you know, some years later, he's now married to somebody we all love. And, and I mean, it's, it's great. And, and he'll even say to this day, it was the best thing he ever did was, was change gears. And he might not have done it if somebody didn't call him out. Yet we as human beings have such a hard time addressing those kind of things. I mean, I, I came from a family who had those conversations similar to yours. So, so I, I totally get what you're saying, but so many people don't, and they just won't speak up. And I think it's really hard when it's something emotional and personal versus, I mean, not that it's not hard to go ask for more money, but, but when you add that, that other dimension into it, it's got to make it harder. Well, what's interesting about, I'll use your example. So People don't know there are many options about how to start that kind of a conversation, right? So, so for example, it, it, you could have easily said, I don't know what you said, but you could have easily said, you know, I've been thinking about whatever her name is, the two of you together. And, you know, I'm really curious from, from your standpoint, what is it about her that makes you want to be with her? Because, you know, we've talked about it in all, you know, to be fully transparent and because we know you and we're obviously not in a relationship with her, what is it about her that is making you considering choosing to spend the rest of your life? That is probably not something he ever thought about. Right. So, so it's, it doesn't have to be, we don't like her. Why do you like her? It doesn't have to be that base. It can be a thoughtful, again, we're just wondering what it is because we can't see it and we're curious about that. And it, and so I think that people's inability to, to the fear of the loss, right? The fear of the repercussion of how, of the, you know, makes people really kind of clumsy in a way that, that comes out a little bit too like much like an accusation or a negative statement. So it's a, it's a communication they say is an art form. It is, it really is. So reframing is really important. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, it's a great point because it requires some thought ahead of time. I mean, I have to tell you, I really, in this example, I deliberated a long time before talking to him and, um, and you know, it's, I'm going back a lot of years, but, but kind of started out the same way. I mean, you know, we knew what he wanted in life and she wanted something different and was just not a, not a good fit from that standpoint. But, um, you know, it, it, it is worth the effort because I think some people see the confrontation to say, Oh, I just need to go talk to him about that. And, and, and there is no forethought in how to do it. Right. And when you're scared, 
you have less access to creativity, mm. which is what you need to be when you're having a conversation. You need to be able to get creative and you need to be present and you need to be able to watch the person's reaction so that you can go, it feels like it's getting tense. I don't know if I'm being clear. Let's backtrack a little bit so I can come back in. You have to you have to re- be able to read the room, as they say. Yeah. And, and as we translate that into the workplace, it becomes just as important. So as we were just, uh, you know, here we are. And again, for the listeners, depending on when you're listening to this, you know, we, we are we're doing this show here in the beginning of the year. And, and a lot of my clients have just conducted annual reviews. And we go through these and it's like, oh, God. You know, this manager is just not being honest with with his people. You know, he's you know he he'll he'll talk he'll talk with his leadership about the problems he's having. But when you read the review, it's like the person's got what is going on here. And when you confront them about it, half the time you'll hear something like, "Well, I didn't want to hurt their feelings," or "Was it really necessary to do this?" And it's like, no, you have to you have to be honest. People can't grow without that honesty. I would right. if I'm working for somebody, I want to know where I stand. Jack Welch in in, in winning. Um, talks constantly about the importance of um, being candid with people and how candor is is truly a skill of of a great leader. Um, right. That's something you use quite a bit. Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. There's this fear of hurting someone's feelings that I don't want to hurt someone's feelings, meaning that you that you think that you will. Right. So so if I you know, some people are grateful for that because you don't know how you come across and and let's just say someone's feelings get hurt but they get better because of it those few minutes of that it's really a project i don't want to hurt someone's feelings assumes that you will yes and 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 it's the delivery and it's the it's the, you know, I'm just going to go through some of the things that I think could use some work. It's the way you present the information rather than an accusation by using a bunch of adjectives. You know, it's, 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 there's some areas where I think you could use some work. I'm wondering what might be helpful for you, or I'm wondering what you think about that. It's an, it needs to be a dialogue, not a monologue. That's what I think. And, and, in, and in terms of leadership, I think that the fear of not being direct, the fear of them not using candor is where people don't understand what they're supposed to be doing. Yeah. There's a lack of clarity and clarity is essential for, for productivity, I think. Well, yeah, I, you know, it's, it's, have you really established metrics for a person? I know we're getting a little off, uh, off um, confrontation for a moment, but you know, if you've got somebody who's working for you, have you been really, really clear with them about how you're measuring their success? Because now it becomes, it, it's almost just, you know, academic, you know, they're either achieving or they aren't. And if they're not, let's talk about that and what they can do better. But even if they are, where can they improve? And that conversation about putting the burden a little bit on them, you know, confrontation does not have to be you saying everything. So it's, it, it does not, you know, you've said it, it does not have to be a monologue. Let's, let's have them get in the conversation too. Exactly. Because it's your job to lead, right? So leading in this case is saying something that may be uncomfortable for you. That's why people don't do it. Cause it's uncomfortable. 
being uncomfortable is part of the human condition. It's going to be that way. Just deal with it. And, and so you could even say this may be an uncomfortable conversation. Some people in the past have been, it's, you don't have to make it unique to the person. Everyone's uncomfortable. Everyone gets offended. It's, it's part of life. And so I think that, you know, how do you feel? This is what I think. And this is what I've heard. I'd love to know your thoughts on that as well. And then let them think about it because if they think about it, they'll learn something about themselves also. And in, and in terms of success, the, that what success looks like needs to be defined. You, you said metrics. What is a successful whatever campaign, whatever it is, this is what it is. And there are markers each time it happens. And if it's not happening, you, you know, sometimes if you say it 10 times, you might lose your patience. Right. And that's okay too. But you know, it's like, what needs to be done? What aren't you, what I often say to people when they react to something I didn't say, what did you just hear me say? Mm -hmm. Because I know it's not what I said. Yeah. So I need to know what you just heard. And, you know, that's kind of a conversation stopper because then they need to think about it. And the question in itself answers the question. Yeah, that's, that's the truth. Well, we are, um, we've, we've already gone through our, our last segment. We're, we're kind of getting to the end of the, of the show here. Um, Danielle, love people to know if, if, how they can get a hold of you. If anybody's looking for some one-on-one coaching, you know, to help out. Uh, you're also looking to start building, um, building an advisory service, some consulting into organizations yeah. to help the conversations get better within um, companies. And, and having yes. said all that, how do people find you? So the best way to find me is my, through my website, which is theconfrontationalist.com. Um, uh, can, you, can you spell that for, for everybody? Yes, I was going to say inevitably it will be misspelled. So if you put confrontations, the confrontationalist, so it's confrontational, I-S-T, if that's helpful. So um, the confrontational com. Yes. And you can email me at hello at the confrontationalist. You can go through a form on my, um, on my website, or if you go to Instagram, I'm at the underscore confrontationalist.com. The computer will, will, will fill in the word after a while. So excellent. you could DM me as well. Excellent. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for, for being with us today. I, I think confrontation is, is definitely a topic that, that we have to raise up in healthy confrontation in particular. So um, really appreciate your points of view. And thanks again for being with us today. Well, thanks for having me. This was great. Absolutely. Well, everybody, thanks. Um, thanks for joining us today. And um, we've got more shows, more great shows coming at you soon in the upcoming weeks. So stay tuned and I will see you all soon. Thank you for joining Chris Elias for this week's edition of Transformative Experts. We hope you'll tune in again next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time and 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. And catch our weekly replay on the Voice America Influencers Channel, Sundays at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Have a good week.